All right, guys. Good morning. How are you doing? Hey, uh, thank you for joining us in person. And I know people will be with us online. It's good to see you all. I'm Dustin Payne. I know a lot of you, actually. So I go to this church, technically. So it's good to be present with you and know you and be known by you. Um, for those who are visiting or those who miss, like, my family, uh, my name's Dustin, my family, Dawn, and I've got Lyra, Arn, and Sinai over there. Uh, we were sent out of this church a year ago to plant a church in Portland, Oregon. And I was asked to preach this morning, and it's a time of transition here at Go Church in Ridgefield. So what a better time for me to show up and talk about the biggest transition in all of the Bible, and that is from the ministry that Jesus brought us on earth to releasing the church to do that ministry um, presently now. And so I'm real excited to go through that. Um, if I wanted to say first that you are the reason my family's in Portland, and what I heard Connor say earlier about so much larger than this, uh, I really want to zero in on that, that that's the gospel work that we're called to, that each of us has been part of this tradition for 2,000 years of cooperating together to propel the gospel to places that you and I don't want to go. Uh, and that's actually the topic of the sermon this morning. I, 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 I was asked, there it is, I was asked for a sermon title. I forgot to do that, so I just made one up. I said, Spirit, lead me. So that might have something to do with the sermon. It might not. You can decide. I just snapped into it in the last second. And so I know you might have a Bible with you or your favorite app. We're going to have scripture on the screen as well. But we're actually going to spend a lot of time in Acts this morning in chapter 8 and in chapter 10, but we'll also be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as well. And uh, I want to actually give you a little bit of a map of where we're going. And it'll be on the slide. African gender different, dirty food, and get it to go. That's a map. So we'll follow that, uh, those, those beats today. And what have What's been happening over the course of thousands and thousands of years in our tribe, the tribe of Jesus Christ, our King, right, is we have been working together to support the gospel spread all over the earth. This is not a small, like, reality. This is a large reality. I don't know any organization that's 2,000 years old that has presence all over the world quite like we do. Um, and it all started literally with a bunch of Jewish men and women worshiping the Lord together in an upper room. And you know this story. Um, but before I get it, I'm, I'm like getting ahead of myself. Uh, I wanted to bring up a little issue I have with living in Portland, having been from Texas. There's only one or two or three or four or five or six or uh, there's a few of them. And uh, but I want to say that my chief complaint is that if in Texas, if there's two things that are next to each other diagonally, we would say that they're catty corner from each other. And when I was explaining this to someone in the city, they, they laughed and they go, oh, Dustin, you mean kitty corner. <laughs> and I was like, what? But this is yet another evidence that everything is bigger in Texas. You have kitties, we have cats. They're full, grown, and large. 
just like it should be. And uh, in another kind of conversation I have, being from Texas, uh, look, when you're in a culture, you don't realize what is normal for you is not necessarily normal for anybody else. And I'm sure what you know about Texas is we all have guns. All of us. And that's probably why it's so peaceful in Texas. <laughs> and I'm thinking in Portland, nobody has guns. Um, but I was explaining to someone that uh, I, being from Texas, do own a gun. And they go, you have a G-U-N? And I realized it's like Voldemort. You can't say it here. And this is yet another cultural difference that I've run into being from Texas and in Portland. And there's, like, there's a lot of things that when you come into a new culture, you might resist. And there's a lot of things you might learn from. And so I've been transforming and changing. Why? Because the Spirit of God has propelled my family into a very culturally different place than where I grew up. And, and it's because of your faithfulness and your generous support of my family that we're able to do this. It's because of the care that you have to cooperate with local churches to the advancement of the gospel. And so I'm really thankful that I get to be here with you, from you, and now to you. And so um, all of this leads us to our map here and how the Spirit of God is shifting and moving each of us to have deep relationships with people who don't know God. And so with that, I want to start with a really culturally difficult and odd thing in Acts. And that's what I titled African Gender Different. So we're in Acts. Jesus has ascended into heaven. This is Acts. Uh, we're in Acts 8. But he ascends into heaven after three days in the tomb. And he tasks us, his church, to go into the nations making disciples teaching everyone to obey everything that King Jesus has commanded. This is like literally some of his last words to us is, go and do this ministry. This is what I want you to do. Uh, and I think sometimes in church we get it a little confused. Um, we think that the mission of God was created as something for us to do to keep us occupied. But in actuality, the church was formed for the mission of God. We were formed for this work, the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth. And you have like this such, this important mission pressing upon you that it propels you into all sorts of places you might not want to go. And God is pushing us in growth. And my one desire for you today is wherever you are in your journey of faith with Jesus, that we just elevate it a little bit. Uh, we don't have to quite be super awesome, like, I'm going to go into the darkest place of the earth today, uh, but I want you to try to go up one step from where you are, wherever that is. And wherever you are in this faith journey, and the way that you represent Jesus on this earth, uh, my hope for you today is, is just one more step deeper, one more step, certainly in the direction of Jesus Christ and his mission. And so with that, let's look at Acts 28. Or sorry, Acts 8, 26. 
And it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. You might think, uh, oh, you know what's south of Ridgefield, Washington? Portland. You might also think this is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was this Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Well, this is really fascinating because why would there be a, a black man from Ethiopia who is a religious uh, zealot for the Judaic faith? He's headed to Jerusalem to worship. And, and if you know anything about like, how the temple is structured, he's taking this long journey, not even to go into the temple, but have to sit outside the temple because of what's happened to him and his reproductive organs. And what's interesting is he's reading this scroll of Isaiah. Like he's searching and seeking scripture to understand and know God. And it seems like the only thing that is missing is someone to explain it. And, and, and to maybe even help us understand why he would be on this pilgrimage or this journey. Um, you know, if you read Isaiah in chapter 56 this is what the lord says he says to the eunuchs who keep my sabbath who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant i'm going to give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters right? a eunuch can't reproduce can't have children but in isaiah there's this promise that you actually to the eunuch, you get something better than sons and daughters. He says, I'm going to give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And then listen to this. And he says, and the foreigners, maybe people from Ethiopia, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it and holds fast to my promises, my covenant, he says, these I'm going to bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the people. So there's this Ethiopian eunuch and he is in this chariot headed to Jerusalem to worship because he found this religious text that says there's a place for you. And everything you don't have, you can have more than that. And it's God's very spirit that directs his church, Philip, to intersect with this man. And in verse 29 it says, the spirit says to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I know this is in the Bible and sometimes we just kind of segment it of that was then and this is now. But I can tell you right now that like in Portland, Oregon, as I've experienced it, there's men and women everywhere who are just crying out, 
for, can someone guide me? And so there's these men and women just south of you who are very culturally different than, than Ridgefield, Washington. They have maybe uh, odd sexual deviations just like this man. Uh, but there's some of them who are saying, hey, can someone explain this to me? Uh, in my endeavors, you end up in strange places in Portland. Um, I was in a prayer service of Portland spiritual people. Um, and it was definitely weird and odd. And there was all sorts of stuff going on there with crystals and what have you. Um, and afterwards, I was invited to breakfast with a gay Hispanic man from Texas. And of course, you know, us Texas people, we just find each other. And he shares with me at breakfast that he grew up in a cult, a Christian spiritual cult, in that the Bible was used to abuse him in deep ways. And he was introduced to me, like I was introduced to him as a pastor. And there I was across the table feeling like I represented in many ways the things that hurt him. But we had been in relationship together now for a bit. We have shared a little bit with each other. And I will tell you that maybe one of the most humbling things that's ever happened to me is he asks me, he says, can I have your plate? I want to serve you. He said it just like that with pause and everything. Can I have your plate? I want to serve you my food. And I, I, was, I handed him my plate, and he took from his own plate, he scooped up food for breakfast, and then he hands it back with kind of his head bowed and says, this is for you. And, and I had this moment of just deep feeling that there's people who are struggling all around us in this secret way who have no one to talk to. And I was thinking through, like, here I was, the thing that in some ways represents what hurt him. I, a person of the servant king, a servant being served by someone who hasn't found space, um, an invitational space for the gospel. But instead ended up in some sort of religious toxic place, of which Portland has many of those And I, as I like look back and think through this uncomfortable meeting, because I'm sure you've had those too, you've sat across the table with people who live in a way that make you uncomfortable. That's like every day in Portland for me. And when someone says, how can I serve you? I'm like, man, I got this backwards. And I'm like, how, how much... I need to go lower than this guy. I need to be able to serve him better. And I was reminded of this story in Acts because of what the eunuch says. How can I unless someone guides me? The spirit of God already working in this Ethiopian eunuch, already bringing him to life, but yet there's no one to disciple him. You know, God does his part. 
He changes hearts and minds. He gives us new life. But there's a part for you. To go, therefore, and make disciples. Teach them to obey all that I commanded. And so sitting across the table is someone who's saying, let me serve you. How can I help you? And I was like, man, like, like, no, let me lead you. Let me guide you through Christ, our servant king. Which leads us to the next part on our map, dirty food. This is from Acts 10. And so Philip is propelled by God's spirit to the African nations through this Ethiopian man. But Peter is sent to this gentleman from the Italian cohort. So this is verse 1. At Caesarea, there was this man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. You know, isn't that interesting? There are faithful spiritual people all across the world. And then it says in verse 3 that about the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly a vision of an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius. And it says he stared in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God recognizes his spiritual work. And then he says, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related every to, everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. You know, God's movement and activity, uh, it isn't only in this church. But actually God's spirit is moving all across the earth. We aren't the movement of God. We're part of the movement of God. God's spirit is changing and working on hearts before we even get there. How can I unless someone guides me? For Cornelius, God gives him a vision and says, the guy who's going to guide you, his name is Peter. Go get him. But let's keep reading. And the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, those guys looking for Peter, it says, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And, and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. As many of us do when we're hangry. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. This sheet's covering the entire earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him. And it was this line, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord... For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, 
do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. If we listen to what's happening here, Peter is having a vision from God. This hugely important announcement. And it isn't just that Jews can now eat bacon, which is a very important thing to know and understand. But actually, this vision is teaching Peter that the gospel of Jesus Christ and this movement of God, it's for all people. What God has made clean do not call common. So then in verse 17 it says that while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision he had seen might mean. All of a sudden, the men who were sent by Cornelius, who were making this inquiry for where Simon was, they stood at the gates. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation because I sent them. Isn't that crazy? The Lord is sending people from outside the church to the church. There's Ethiopian eunuchs running around trying to read Isaiah without us. There are Italian cohort military commanders who are praying and living generously with this world. Who God's honoring and saying, these are your people. And Peter went down to the men and he said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your cunning? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. Isn't that really fascinating? That's a crazy way to be invited to dinner it's like, hey, we actually want to hear what you have to say. We don't know what it is, but you're going to come in and you're going to share it with us. So he invited them to be his guest. And the next day, Peter rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So it wasn't just Peter alone. He went with the church. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called them together with his relatives and his close friends. Yeah, the thing I keep seeing, especially in Portland, is that, hey, if you get the leader, you get the group. Uh, we started a new small group uh, a couple of weeks ago with what I'd call a Portland spiritual person. And you better believe the kinds of people that show up to that group are Portland spiritual people. And we've had some very fascinating conversations from everything that, dude, I'm telling you that the Eucharist was psychedelic mushrooms to... Um, you know, all of this is just a construct of our imaginations anyways. We have bobbed and weaved through all sorts of fascinating metaphysical conversations to land distinctly and appropriately on the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves them and that that love is going to go through them for others. The gospel doesn't just get the leader, it gets the people. I shared with someone, a Christian in the neighborhood, that we had reached what I'd call a guru. And they were concerned for me. 
Because I think what's happening or what's happened in the church is that we've looked at people with cultural differences as dangerous. And they're crying out, how can I unless you guide me? Maybe it's the absence of us that's created that space. So it says when Peter entered Cornelius, he met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter's lifted him up and says, stand up, I'm a man too. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So Peter's kind of surprised that this guy's got his family there and his friends. And he said to them, you yourselves know how it's like unlawful for a Jew just to associate with you or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That vision he had of the blanket, he's getting it now. It wasn't for his food, it was for his way of life. And then he says this, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. You know, the gospel, it propels us out of what is culturally comfortable. To reach a people who are desperately searching and seeking God. And I want you to put your brain in Peter's brain for a second. You've grown up in Israel. You've grown up the special chosen people. You have made it your essentially lifestyle to never associate with people from different cultures. And on the back of Philip and on the back of Peter has started a tradition that breaks that tradition. A people group that goes all across the world to reach all kinds of people who are searching and seeking to know the God who knows them. That's the thing. Cornelius and the eunuch, they don't know Jesus' name, but Jesus knows them. Isn't that amazing? We don't just bear the gospel in God's spirit, but it's out there running wild. He's out there moving and he's crying out, church, are you going to show up? Jesus says, it's really fascinating, I've, I've heard some of the talk in the city amongst Christians, and people say, oh, well, Portland is just a tough soil. But if you read scripture, Jesus doesn't talk like that. He doesn't say it's an agricultural problem. He actually says it's a labor issue. He says that the harvest is plentiful, but we have a labor shortage. The laborers are few. So he says, hey, you need to ask the Lord of the harvest, a.k.a. the manager of the laborers, to send out those guys to the harvest. So the perspective of Jesus is that this world is a rampant, wild, abundant growth for the first fruits of God and his kingdom. And the problem isn't them. It's me. It's because I didn't go. It's because I was comfortable in a context, in a place where I was surrounded by people who thought and acted just like I do. And it's really easy. I, I, I keep hearing this again and again and again. I went to go meet Pastor Mark Ford for lunch this last week. And uh, we met in Happy Valley, which is middle where he lives and where I live. And I still have my Texas license plates on my red Prius, which really aggravated Texans that we had a red Prius. Um, 
and I find that our Texas license plate very aggravates Portlanders. Um, so I pull up to Biscuits Cafe, and I get out of the car, and the woman, and this is the like, third or fourth time I've heard this, the woman who's in front of me going to Biscuits, she turns around, and she sees the Texas license plate, and she says, you're not from Texas, are you? And I said, I, I, I am. She's like, and she said this, and I've heard this over and over since I've been here, you're going the wrong way. We're all going there. Why would you come here? And I was like, the gospel? I didn't even know how to explain this. The people of Happy Valley are confused why on earth there would be a car with Texas license plates here. They might have been hoping that it was, quote, just for a visit. But as I understand it, in Jesus' teaching, the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers who are few. And there's people all around this earth crying out, how can I? unless someone guides me. And there's the voice of the Lord echoing in our brains about how we talk about our neighbor. Do not call unclean or common the people I've made clean. Isn't that fascinating? I think sometimes we don't realize how much of expectation we have of people for them to come and sit here with us. And I don't even know if we even have an expectation of each other to go and sit with them. It was very uncomfortable to go to that morning prayer service with Portland spiritual people. I mean, I would even use the phrase, and I don't use this lightly, I'm pretty sure there was things that were demonic going on. But Jesus, he dealt with the demonic too, didn't he? And if I'm trying to be like Jesus, doesn't that mean I have to deal with some of that as well? And I think in this lies the challenge for us as a church that God really does care about how we talk about the city and its people. You know, this line, do not call unclean or common any person that I've made clean. The gospel is so radical it's so life-changing that people that are so vastly different than you, it's for them, too. And you're vastly different to those people. And regardless of whether they're Democrats or Republicans, whether or not they're immigrants or refugees and how they got here, there are people we should talk well of. I mean, there's probably people in this room that we need to learn to talk well of. I've never been part of a church where we didn't have that problem, right? Because guess what? This is the cultural melting pot of the nations, this organization. There is going to be people who you sit with that are very different than you. Some of them might own GUNs, right? Um, some of them might have a history with drugs and alcohol. Some of them may be part of practices that you would never dare touch. And some of them might eat things that you would never eat. Which leads me to get it to go. 
there's probably a plethora of disagreement in this church. I've never been part of a church where there wasn't that. And I know that the things your brothers and sisters do deeply affect how you live and vice versa. And these are important issues. But what is still greater is learning to exercise grace and forgiveness. Maybe the chief most important values we get from our king. And that's our task here, right? Is to learn to love the people in these chairs and in your small groups and in your ministries. To love them well. To lift them up higher than yourself. To make their preferences greater than your preferences. And this is what Paul teaches us in Corinthians chapter 8. He's got this issue, right? Because the church has now become this melting pot of the nations. And so there's a lot of cultural differences. There's a lot of issues on how to live and act and be. In verse 1, he gets this issue of food. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge... And this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I've got more to say here, but I'm going I'm to pause here. What you know puffs you up. It is a fake sort of growth. There's a lot of people I know who know a lot of Bible who are spiritually immature. Knowledge puffs up. But he says, but if you want to be big, there's like this way you can puff yourself up. But if you love, you're built up. Deep, established infrastructure in your soul. That knowledge puffs you up, but love builds you up. And I think often what happens in our churches is there's the people who really know a lot of stuff and the people who don't. And as someone who's been to seminary and has a degree in all this, I've had to learn that my knowledge might make me feel like I know the right thing to do. But until I actually move in love, and forgiveness towards my neighbor, I'm still just a spiritual infant. And then he says in verse 2, he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, listen to this, it's a little tricky, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Because when you uh, double the circumference of your knowledge, you triple the diameter of your ignorance. It, it's, it happens in good and bad ways, right? There are people who know so much that they end up forgetting things they should know. But then there's also another issue of that anyone who's studied in the disciplines knows. That the more you learn, the more you realize there's a bunch you don't know. Paul teaches us this here. But then he says this about that. He says, but if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Just like Cornelius... Just like the Ethiopian eunuch, if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Isn't that fascinating? That's not a knowledge issue at all. That's a him knowing you issue. It's a, not like a, I just have this intellectual idea, knowing, being in relationship with. It isn't about what you know, it's about who knows you. 
And it's always been that way. The thief on the cross, he didn't know that guy. Go through the ministry, Jesus, son David, have mercy on me. They don't know that guy. But yet he knows them, and he knew you. Before you ever sat here, before you ever prayed a prayer or were baptized, he knew you deeply and intimately, and he surrounded you with faithful people. Before you could ever cry out, how can I unless someone guides me, they were already there for you. What God has made clean, do not call common. In verse 4, Paul writes, he says, Therefore, as to eating the food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And although there might be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, just like there's all these spiritual forces that we know about, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. So, so from this Father... All things exist, right? And we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and for whom we exist. But then he says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, we are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So we'll get there. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? He's saying like, hey, don't do these things publicly because the people who are following you might be led astray is the idea. And he says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Isn't that fascinating? It's, it's like as we continue to serve, we actually give up the freedoms we have to better serve our neighbors and the people who are in our churches it's like the further you serve, the more you give up of your own self. And he says that thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you're sinning against Christ. And therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make a brother stumble. There is no reality in the church, or there is this reality in the church, where uh, your childhood and the way you were raised is unique to you, and the people that you sit next to, we don't have the same experiences, right? The people that our church is reaching in Portland are people who are coming out of spiritual cults and Portland spiritualism. And we have almost nothing in common except for the love we have for one another. And Paul's essentially saying to the Corinthian church that some of us do cultural things that others don't like. But if we flesh out the issue, 
The gospel is just greater than that. Isn't that amazing? Anytime you get passionate about a church issue, I just want to say the gospel is still greater than that. And until I, and this is the thing I keep saying like to myself, to get me to sit down in these circles, to have dinner with people I don't know, is that until I can get to the place where the gospel is just so much greater than my comfort, my opinions, how things ought to go, like I'm not there yet. Like that's going to be my chief fallback. It's like every time, and I, I got opinions, you know, and you have opinions too. But man, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much more important than our cultural comforts. This church was planted by a guy from Missouri. And he's going off to plant another church. I'm from Texas. We're planting church. The things aren't, if we were really comfortable, we would just stay where we're at. Yet there's this resounding voice coming from the nations. Who will guide us? And then there's this resounding voice from the Lord. Go and teach them to obey. And Paul here is saying, and this is big for a Texan, I'd become a vegetarian before I eat meat and make someone stumble. What cultural thing would you give up for the goodness of God and his great gospel for your neighbor? And if you haven't given something up in a minute, this is how we're going to elevate our faith journey today. He is so good that he would give up everything for you. And we call ourselves Christ followers, Christians. And what have we given up for our neighbor? And this is what the world gets wrong about the gospel. They see the way we live as bondage and chains. But it's true freedom. It's so free that the things I want to do, I don't do for the sake of Christ my King, love and the gospel. It is love that propels and controls us into this earth. And the religious person gets this wrong about the gospel as well. They see the behavior as acceptance, not as freedom. Oftentimes in these religious circles, not, we're not religious here, we're faithful, we're Christians, we're Jesus followers. But among certain churches, there is this expectation that you need to change to become part of us. But every time I open this book, it's I need to change to bring the gospel to them. And you and I, we are commanded to go and serve the men and women of Ridgefield, Washington, and Portland, Oregon. And frankly, those are pretty different kinds of people. But you are commanded to go and sit with spiritual people. People who are asking. I, I always, I've been having a hard time. I've been thinking like, man, uh, my proclivity is to find people who are like me and lead them to Christ. 
And meanwhile, there's people all around the city meeting spiritual ways, just trying to know God, taking psychedelic mushrooms to have the experience with God that you and I have sober every day. Isn't that crazy? And if you met these people, wouldn't you say, hey guys, I live this every day. I don't even need, one of my friends said, it's amazing you're so close to God when you don't take plant medicines. That was a real comment I got last week. But man, isn't that amazing? That there's people who are looking at the lives of the church and saying, wow, people who know God without needing any aid. People who are known by God, who aren't like me. You see, God, it's God is already in Portland, Oregon. It is the church who has yet to arrive. The movement and spirit of God is working already. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. And this church and your support of me and my family is solving a labor crisis. It is finding the men and women who are compelled by a vision from God to go sit with Ethiopian eunuchs and uh, Italian military leaders who are spiritual kinds of people but have never heard the name Jesus. And because I didn't even have enough time today, there's a whole other story in Acts where Paul gets on the scene and the Spirit of God's already fallen. And he says, Haven't, do you know Jesus? And they're like, no. And he's like, well, how you were baptized? By John's baptism. And Paul's like, the Spirit got here again before me. You see, guys, we don't do God's part. God can do that all on his own. But you do have a part. It's to give up something to gain everything. To lose your life so that you can find it. And it's from my thankfulness that I want to challenge you this morning to elevate the gospel above every issue. Every issue. Political, cultural, individual. To anchor that as the core value of your life. To seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. To seek it first. Before your preferences your wants and your desires to not call common the things God's made clean, to find the people in this city who are just looking for a guide. How can I know unless somebody guides me? Because the next great spiritual awakening, it's already here. And God will do it with or without the church. But he wants to do it with you. And if you want to live the pages we read in Acts, you can. It's true. Like, I've seen it. I've lived it. Crazy kinds of things. I feel like my life is miraculous. And I keep trying to understand and explain my experience. And I've landed on these three stories about how hard it must have been for Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, to then have to instruct the church it's okay for some of you to eat meat sacrificed to idols. To give that up is hard. For Peter to stand before 
this other nation ruler and say, I'm not even supposed to associate with you based on my culture and the way I was raised. But God told me to, so here I am. Or Philip, who's having to deal with this man who is what we might call today, like, you know, gender non-conforming in some ways. That's a very uncomfortable conversation. And yet that man's reading the Bible back to Philip about God's promises for him and his nation. The world is just wondering, when are we going to arrive? And that's my encouragement to you guys, is we keep doing it. We keep going. We keep showing up. You go sit in that circle. It's been ready for you. Go find the people in Ridgefield, in Battleground, in Vancouver that are trying to know God, but God knows them. And so thank you this morning for allowing me to be here and share just a snippet of what things are like just south of us, 20 minutes away. But it does seem a cultural world apart. And so if you do me the honor, I'd like to pray for you in this season of transition for your church and movement into the harvest. Uh, God of the nations, you love each of us so radically that you give yourself up for me. And Lord, I struggle to know how to share in that love for my neighbor. And my prayer is that your spirit would not just move and motivate us to love you more, but that we would love our neighbors so much so that we would give some stuff up. That we would take secondary and tertiary issues and let them fall away to your primary message of reconciliation of the lost to the king. And my prayer for you is that if you want to know that God, he is here and knows you. And that this is the church that you can find real healing and hope through this king. Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. It is for you we exist as God's people, as men and women and children. Lord, would you send us to experience the joy of the abundant harvest you have for us in this world. Mm. Mm. May we know you and be known by you deeper and deeper daily. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.